Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Muddy Knees Media. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, it's lockdown again, but elite sport will continue. We ask, what does this mean for Fulham's fixtures? And if you're stuck having a miserable time at home, spare a thought for Man United. We applaud Arsenal and their big result, marvel at Spurs and Bale, and salute Everton and Villa as they begin their journey back down the table. All of that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. How are you? It's 2nd of November, you know, uh, and we're joined here on the Totally Football Show by Michael Cox. Hello, Michael. Hi, James. Also with us, Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Hello, James. And stepping out of the shadows, hello, Nick Miller. Hello, James. How are you? I'm all right, Nick. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, host of the prestigious Two Stars podcast. Well, um, sidekick, I'd say. I'm psychic Simon to Matt Davis Adams's Partridge. All right, then. Have you had lots of jokes about it? You know, two stars, two star reviews and that kind of thing. Uh, yes, mainly from us, but um, but yes, we have. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Lockdown 2 is on the way. What are you going to do? Daniel, you've been involved in a new book, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, it's released by the guys Magic Sponges on Twitter. It's a, a collation of writers um, discussing nearly men and nearly teams. And I've done a chapter on Nottingham Forest losing the FA Cup final in 1991 and the repercussions for Brian Clough et al. Right. Okay. There's a surprise choice of subject matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Michael, what are you going to dedicate lockdown to doing? Um, I don't know. Just watching lots of football. There's lots of All football, right. isn't there? There, there is. is an international break in, in the middle of it. Well, in the mm. middle of November, which I'm mm. sure everyone will get very upset about. But uh, yeah, just watch football, I guess. There's nothing else to do, is there? Well, I guess not. Luckily, there's lots to talk about with the football. This weekend, for example, we've got two games to go in the round, but already... We've seen Arsenal end their long, long, big six away jinx. We saw Liverpool go top, uh, two points clear. Not entirely sure how that's happened, but we'll discuss that. We saw a couple of sides, Everton and Aston Villa, that made meteoric starts begin to look like they might be burning out. And it left 10 teams from Spurs in second place to Newcastle in 11th, separated by just three points. Not amongst them, Man United, who are down in 15th. Where do you fancy starting? Man United's game with Arsenal? That was the biggie, wasn't it? All right then, cue Scissor Sisters. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. But I don't feel like dancing when the old gentleman in the place. My heart could take a chance with my two feet can't find a way. That's right, listener, they were number one with I Don't Feel Like Dancing. 
14 years ago, the last time that Arsenal got a win at Old Trafford. That's what they did on Sunday, a 1-0 victory, ending that other big run, 29 games in which they'd never won away at a big six side. It all means we're going to need some new things to say about the Gunners. Like what, Daniel? Well, to to my mind, it, it felt as if one side arrived with a plan, both to thwart the opposition and kind of proactively, in doing so, create their own chances. And and one side, you know, stepped onto the pitch as if being told, go and play like you did the other night and it'll be mm. absolutely fine. And, and it so happened that the side with a tactical plan... Um, that that plan completely came off. They did everything they wanted other than, I think, scoring earlier and they should have scored in the first half. But Manchester United, I don't want to dismiss the results in the Champions League purely because I you know, I generally appear on this show post-Premier League games, but their Premier League form is, is poor and their Premier League performances at home are desperate. But more importantly, they don't really seem to have any clear vision of, of what they want to be. And you know, Michael and I particularly have said this time and time again on this show, but that comes down to a manager who was appointed. He was appointed because the manager he replaced was expected to mount a serious title challenge and hadn't done that. And he's still getting nowhere close. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen this season, even with a bunched up Premier League, because at the moment they are, you know, they're far closer to the bottom three than they are the top six. Would it be too much to ask for football just to make its mind up? Because we spent about 20 minutes at the start of our last show discussing how Oli actually had been unfairly maligned, was a bit of a tactical savvy guy, and that Man United had now acquired the shape that everyone had been longing for because they'd looked extraordinary against Leipzig with that 5-0 win. Maybe we'll come on to the difference between that game and this in a second or two, but Arsenal, it was a narrow win but for their supporters, for their fans, Michael, how do you think this one will rank among performances of recent years? Yeah, pretty big. I mean, they don't win at Old Trafford very often. I think only three times in the Premier League era. Uh, they've all been 1-0, incidentally, the classic Arsenal scoreline. I mean, it's funny, you say that we need to find new things to say about Arsenal and in comparison to previous uh, visits to big clubs, or big six clubs, it's been... You know, it was a big contrast, but actually this was a familiar Arsenal performance. They are very good at playing out from the back. I think they're broadly quite good at pressing. The issue really is turning their dominance when they do dominate games into chances. And and they struggled to do that here. Um, Probably should have scored in the first half, but it's not like the chances were great. It was more like, yeah, you want to find the final pass. And they only got the breakthrough with obviously a very silly foul from Pogba and the penalty. But yeah, overall, I thought Arsenal were much the better side. I mean, I thought with the exception of the last 10 minutes when maybe they sat back slightly too much. I thought it was very controlled. I think it was obvious that Arteta had a plan for the way that they expected Manchester United to play in that diamond. Manchester United played exactly that way and Arsenal were just very sure of what they were doing. I didn't think there was any real moments that caused them problems for the vast majority of the game. They depended upon, you know, I'd say the centre-backs playing very well and, and Gabriel, we should note, maybe slightly fortunate not to get a second yellow. I didn't think it was a second yellow, but I've seen referees kind of be a bit strict in those situations. But yeah, overall, it was a good performance. And I think in keeping with what Arteta is trying to do, what they need to do in the in the coming months is just to create more chances. Because yet again, uh, you know, it was, I think, less than one in the expected goals figures. Wow. Is is the difference, do you think, with this Arsenal tactics or personnel? And I'm referring to the uh, the imperious Gabriel, or indeed Party, who ironically is is the most no nonsense player probably in in their lineup. I, I mean, I think tactics. Uh, they they brought in a couple of good players, but that's what clubs do. I mean, they they signed 
two good players in the summer. It's probably roughly the average for what you expect from top clubs. No, mm. I think Arteta came in with a plan and there's been a, a gradual upward curve since he took over. Um, still still room to, to go before they turn into a top side. But I think if you look at the journeys of previous clubs who've been making this journey from kind of Europa League to hopefully a, a challenging at the top of the league, Klopp's Liverpool and, and Pochettino's Tottenham, actually it was the creativity that was almost the last thing to come. It was, it was you know, all about the pressing and the build-up play and the structure and the patterns of play. And then after about 18 months, two years, they became, you know, more more dangerous going forward. So I think Arteta is probably uh, following that uh, method. Mm. Arsenal now have the best defensive record in the Premier League. Who has the worst defensive record in the Premier League? Liverpool. Leaders Liverpool. Extraordinary. And, and the best defensive record having gone away to the three clubs who finished in the top three positions last season. So they haven't had easy fixtures either. Mm, interesting. All right, so why did none of the good stuff from midweek against Leipzig work here for Man United? I mean, a, a part of it was that um, they just moved the ball incredibly slowly, particularly in the first half and particularly from Fred, who um, was kind of sitting at the base of that midfield diamond and just seemed to, he just seemed to sort of take two or three touches when, you know, one or two would have done. And also Pogba and Fernandez were were similar. They need they wanted too many touches on the ball. So from that respect, it was although Thomas Partey and um, I particularly enjoyed Mohamed El Nani's performance in midfield as well. Though, though they played very well, United made it easy for them in that respect. In in the way that they were you know very slowly and uncertainly moving the ball, and they you know the, the subsequently didn't get much service to their strikers and um, Bruno Fernandes playing at the sort of tip of that diamond didn't really have uh, much impact on the game either. To me, Manchester United are they're kind of a roll the dice kind of team and that can work. You know, they have very good players. That starting 11 costs £410 million to buy and it Woo. contains three academy graduates. So um, it will occasionally produce excellent performances and it should. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a manager out there who would have Manchester United constantly playing badly and constantly losing. That's not the point. The point is whether they've got a manager that gets them playing A, well consistently, and B, actually imparts anything on them that is consistently positive. And I I, I don't think that is the case. I think, you know, we will have results like Leipzig where everything clicks because... It's a, it should be a sensational football team. The question is not whether they turn up from time to time. The question is whether they turn up eight to ten games in a row and whether they can you know, stamp their authority on matches, and I don't think they can. Yeah, for me, this is kind of classic Solskjaer. I think what Solskjaer's done very well throughout his time at Manchester United has been now and then he does pick a surprise shape for a specific opposition and it works really well. I think the problem is often then, as in this case, he tries to play the same team again and the opposition work it out and it's like he's he's actually a very reactive manager he's he's quite he's, he's almost suited to managing an underdog in the sense that they they can play well on occasion but there's no real consistent pattern of play and i think a, a part of their in a way their strength is their weakness their strength is that fernandez has maybe over the course of this year been one of the best players in the league maybe the best player in the league but when he's not involved when he's not playing well and he's on the pitch everything else falls down and it felt to me like two completely opposite approaches one manager who's completely reliant upon a number 10 and has no structure apart from that and an Arsenal side who do have a very good structure but are lacking that player in the final third and of the two I would always choose a structure because I think it's more conducive to long-term success. There's loads of good stats about United. This is their worst start at home since 1972. Duncan Alexander pointing out that Solskjaer has now lost as many 
Premier League home games at Man United as Steve Bruce has at Newcastle, which is kind of impressive. But as for Arsenal, is Sunday's performance proof that Aubameyang shouldn't be playing up the middle, which is what Arsenal supporters were saying? It's, I think it's kind of double-edged. I, I, I get it in that I think Lacazette's work off the ball was, was really good. You know, he, he dropped deep and he, he made more tackles than I would expect him to do. And I think he was probably responsible for some of the, if not the majority of, of the flow of the first half in that he kind of set the tone in terms of pressing, which is not necessarily something we associate with him. But his first touch was really poor on the ball. Um, he, he had that air shot, which was not really his fault because I think uh, Lindelof got a good touch on the ball just before it came to him. But he, it doesn't look like he's going to score goals, which um, there's a kind of link with with Roberto Firmino at Liverpool, I suppose, in that he is also credited for this work off the ball and Klopp doesn't really care about the rest. But the reality is is that Arsenal aren't able to get their wide forwards playing as effectively as, as Liverpool do. So they need a, a centre-forward that's going to score goals. I, I, I think the obvious solution would be to play Aubameyang central and Saka wide left. But then I guess Arteta thinks, well, I'm also not getting Nicola Pepe in the team at the moment who cost me £70 million. If I kind of bomb these two strikers am I creating a bit of a rod for my own back but this probably isn't the time for that discussion on the base they just finally won away at a big six club and Arteta will say well everything stemmed from from the way we played in that first half with which Lacazette was crucial to but he looks completely shot of confidence one of the solutions to that might be when um, Gabriel Martinelli comes back I'm not entirely sure when that is I think he might be um, kind of back in some quite light training but he's so good that he can either play either through the middle and give them a bit more sort of thrust that way or he can play on the left as well which would allow um, you know Aubameyang to play through the middle himself mm. um, Anything else you guys want to say about this game or shall I move on to other things? I, I don't often say this about a game because I don't usually notice this kind of thing but I thought it was really well officiated thought Mike Dean was just really good. I thought he got... I'm sure that Man United or Arsenal fans will, will find something that he got wrong. But mm. I just thought he got all the decisions spot on. And people joke about his kind of mannerisms and stuff. But it's just always clear what he's what he's given. And I just think he's... Games like that, he, he's he's really perfect for. I think of all the referees in the Premier League, he's, he's probably still the best. And that's why he's officiated more than any games in history. Just uh, something that I can't take the credit for. Previously, Charlie uh, pointed this one out. But... United currently 175 to 1 to be relegated, which, funnily enough, is the same odds that Sam Allardyce will be the next Manchester United manager. So, you know, if they need someone to come in and sort out their defence, then he could be the man. <laughs> man United uh, on Wednesday will be in Istanbul, beginning a double header against Pasakshi here from the Champions League group, which they lead, of course. They're three points clear of RB Leipzig and uh, Paris Saint Germain, who will be facing each other. Uh, you know, over the next couple of game weeks. You can catch our Tuesday morning Totally Show for a preview of uh, those games and indeed all the midweek action in the Champions League. Meantime, Sunday night, a 2-1 victory for Spurs over Brighton, featuring the return to the Spurs score sheet of one Gareth Bale, set up nicely by his uh, former Real Madrid teammate, uh, Sergi Regalon. Uh, there was a slightly nervous moment in this after Lamptey equalised for uh, Brighton. What, what did you make of Spurs' performance? Got a weird performance. They um, started very well for sort of 15-20 minutes were excellent and then they scored the goal after Harry Kane kind of, depending on your point of view, either very smartly bought the penalty or just kind of cheated or perhaps even, you know, committed the foul himself and somehow got a penalty What's for your it. view, Nick? Um, I think he he was the, actually the one who committed the foul and those things are really pretty dangerous. 
where a player because I mean you, it, it was my so biggest he, thing in the world. Yeah, he sees Lalana racing towards him, and he basically just artfully backs towards him so that Lalana will crash into the back of him and and look like he's he basically, as you say, bought the foul. But um, okay, yeah, and it's kind he, of in his rights to do that, though, no? Uh, kind of, but the, the, he's he's done it before a lot, and the sort of you know, some of the time that the player will just kind of bounce off him and fall to the ground like he did, mm. but a lot of some of the time. The player can, who's supposedly committing the foul, can kind of flip over and, you know, possibly do themselves some quite serious damage. So, um, you know, I, I I thought it was a a foul by Kane rather than on Kane, but you know. So you 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 would actually have this down as an unfair bit of refereeing decision making. Yeah, and um, you know, he the, the referee obviously gave it as a free kick. It was then switched to uh, a penalty by VAR. VAR. Whereas Lamptey's goal. He didn't then switch, and this was kind of a historic moment because he went over to the sideline monitor, but didn't reverse his decision. Yeah, and I, I've always kind of assumed that that when the referee is told to go over to the monitor, the decision has already been made, and you know it's just a sort of nod to mollify the the grunting masses, de- demanding that he uses the tally at the side of the pitch. But he took you know took a long time looking at it, and somehow saw some kind of contact with the ball mm. um, that I'm not sure anyone else. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be kind of corrected if I've missed something here, but it didn't look like um, there was any kind of touch on the ball to me. Again, I guess, I guess there was a potentially a question mark over whether it was a different phase of play that that pass, that foul having belonged to a previous passage of play, it wasn't therefore relevant to whether, you know, the Lamped had scored a goal or not. Daniel, you're, you're spoofando. Well, there's, there's, <laughs> noth- yeah, there's nothing more romantic than having to work out if a referee looking at a monitor is talk, thinking about phases of play or... All right. Let's talk about Gareth Bale's romantic return then. Yeah, it was a good, it was, you know, it was a good finish. Uh, it was a, something in Bale's game that is was, kind of underrated, I think. He's, he has gets great hang time. And, you know, it's obviously a great moment for, for him. And it's a, it, was a, it was a pretty huge moment for Spurs because one of the results of the Premier League being incredibly bunched up at the moment is that dropped points like these at home against supposedly weaker sides take on a, a pretty emphatic negative inflection because the, the the squandered opportunity to establish itself near the top of the league is is massive i think i'm right in saying that that goal took spurs up four positions in the league so wow. you know this really does matter in terms of particularly with a manager like jose who's trying to engineer this um this sense of unwielding relentlessness to Tottenham that will somehow forge a title bid and you know you look at the table and they're two points off top in second and you think well why not what kind of picture do you think Jose Mourinho might be posting from the Spurs bus this time just a big picture of him with some two thumbs up I don't know right nice Um, that was an extraordinarily artless bit of kind of Instagram messaging wasn't it to have a essentially a candid shot which you've clearly asked somebody to take and then you post it on your own uh, on your own account you know for somebody who's so media savvy it, it was faintly i don't know there was a whiff of partridge oh the, it, there was a there was a stench of partridge let's be honest um yeah it was a i thought it was a remarkable thing to do particularly as he he, he as you say he is media savvy but he's also not stupid he knows that that will become the story of the next uh half day of headlines and yeah i mean you know we said it before but Jose does everything deliberately and that would have been done as a you know look at I'm empty on this bus because none of my players are around me and none of my players back me on the pitch and 
some of these you might not see again for a while. Right, right. This was post, of course, the Thursday night defeat in the Europa League to Antwerp. Do you, do you think he's missing the all-or-nothing cameras a bit? They're quite a useful thing to play off, I imagine. Maybe he could just kind of sure he could just whoever took the photo of him on the bus just employ them to follow him around with a camera at some point. And, right. You know, maybe his lustre attention will be soothed. Nice work if you can get it. At one point, he claimed he wasn't going to watch the Amazon documentary, which I thought was an incredible claim for someone who, at, at previous points in his career, has taken it upon himself to almost be the sub-editor for the club's program to check all the match reports to criticising the referees enough. Um, yeah, I, I don't follow him on Instagram, I'm afraid, so I can't comment on this. Like those comedians who say they don't read the reviews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, also, just one thing... Um, if my lip reading's right, then Gareth Bale celebrated his goal by screaming "Vamos," uh, which, uh, if he did, celebrating in Spanish is a absolutely exceptional piece of trolling. The assist <laughs> had been from his former Real teammate and Spaniard, full-time Spaniard Sergei Regalon. So, you know, maybe it was a nod, nod to his, you know, Don't a, a welcoming teams. kind of gesture. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's probably probably exactly the the, the reason. But um, you know, I'm choosing to believe the funnier version. Do you not have bits of foreign that you kind of use? I mean, people abroad certainly say things in English when they want to. Sound, I think it would but... be weird if I saw Harry Kane score after scoring that penalty, shouting "Golo lo 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 lo" as a celebration. To be honest, James, I was I was watching some coverage of a recent Premier League game uh, with Italian commentary, not deliberately, ah. and they used the phrase while speaking Italian. They used the phrase. Uh, Maka un consolation goal, which really made me laugh. Do they not have a word for consolation goal? Well, they probably do, but they are so switched on, these people, that they know how to say it in English. And a lot of uh, football coverage on TV in Italy is about showing that you are pretty international and know how to say things in English. So, a un consolation goal. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so there you go. Well, that was Spurs and that was Arsenal. After this, we'll be saluting the new Premier League top dogs, Liverpool. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begamblerware.org. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Liverpool two points clear after their 2-1 win over West Ham. Another come-from-behind victory for Jurgen Klopp's side. Thanks to those second-half substitutes, Mark Harris says, is Diogo Jota already looking like the signing of the season, giving Liverpool a real threat from the bench and adding power beyond the fabled front three? Mm. And that's that pass from uh, Jordan Shaqiri, pretty good. Slightly odd one, Jota, because certainly in the second half of last season, he was kind of... Wolves is maybe fourth or fifth choice striker behind, you know, Pedence and Neto and Jimenez and Adama Traore. But now he's going you know, to move to Liverpool for a lot of money and he's certainly on in 
goals at least you could make a case for him replacing Firmino in the in the sort of in the front line I know Firmino does other things but um it seems to be a transfer that's kind of just one of those transfers that's just worked out very nicely for everyone mm. how are Liverpool top of the table I mean it's a it's a strange table and it's pretty tight but it is still they don't they're not playing like top of the table team no, they're not, but they are. You know, you mentioned coming from behind again. They've conceded the first goal in four of the last five games, which will annoy Klopp. They only did it in four of, of 29 before that. But um, if this is going to be a, an odd season, as, as we keep saying, then being able to show that resilience is, is, is huge. You know, they've conceded the first goal in the first 15 minutes of the game in three of those, and yet they seem to have this lingering hunger. It's almost as if... Um, and this is you know, very hypothetical, but it's almost as if as, as title defenders, they need that carrot to chase. And, and conceding an early goal seems to do that. It seems to give them that shot in the arm. They need to respond. Um, Klopp will obviously prefer them to, to start games quicker and you know, blow away teams as they were at points during the last two seasons. But um, yeah, it's a handy habit to have. But we were also saying this this point last season. I mean, they got to, I think, nine wins from the first 10 games last season. And we were saying... Liverpool aren't firing in all cylinders. This isn't what we expect from a side top of the league. So they they have had this habit for longer than people think of, of grinding out wins. And I think maybe their peak in terms of playing at, you know, absolute capacity and blowing teams away was probably the season when they came second. Right. I think last year the actual general level of performance was a little bit worse, but the, mm. you know, the results uh, were a little bit better. So, yeah, they do have this in their locker. Next weekend is obviously fascinating. They go to Manchester City, which is a... Um, you know, it is very evidently whatever the table says, the big two sides in the Premier League over the last two, three years. And um, if they go behind there early on, it will be interesting to see if, if City, with this kind of newfound offensive resilience, can hold them off. But mm-hmm. that's the clear marker, isn't it? it? You know, it's there's no good coming from behind to beat West Ham and Sheffield United if you then lose to Manchester City. So that's the that's the one I think we can draw conclusions from. Well, a fascinating stat that. The only team to have conceded more goals in their first seven league matches as reigning top flight champions than Liverpool have done this season were Aston Villa in 1897 98. So, uh, that Nick, is a good stat. Mm. It's worked that out. It's incredible. Nick, you're on penalty watch today. What did you make of Salah's penalty? I, I wasn't really sure what the, the sort of fuss was about this. The guy you go, well, um, I'm so not you, sure. You're not having Harry Kane's, but you are having this one. Yeah, I think it was a um, the, the the I can't remember who the weight was. It Mas, uh, Masuaku. Masuaku, yeah. Mm. Um, kicked him in the back of the leg, and you know he m- yeah. maybe it wasn't enough to kind of send him to the floor. But you know you're not you're not really allowed to do that. Kick opposition players. So yeah, I'm not really sure what the fuss was about this one. All right, everyone else is nodding along with you, so I shall move on. <laughs> uh, well, salute to, to central defender Nathaniel Phillips. Who saw that one coming? Yeah, I mean, there's been a bit of a there's been a slight revisionism about Liverpool's central defensive crisis. They did have four of their first choice back five playing um, at the weekend. I know Fabinho was the was the natural, or Klopstrom was the natural deputy and he also got injured. But Phillips is in that first team squad for a reason because Klopp trusts him. He said that all the way through. He said there won't be players in this first team squad that I don't trust. And if an, a, a, you know, a chance comes to have to play them, then I'll, I've got no issue with doing exactly that. Um, but yeah, I think it's... It's a little bit over, a little bit overblown. He also played a striker in Sebastian Haller, who completed five passes and had seventeen touches of the ball in seventy odd minutes before being substituted. There cannot be many nicer strikers to play in the Premier League at the moment than Haller. Ferran Torres. 
Maybe, but Ferran Torres is is filling in and doing a job, whereas Haller is meant to be a £40 million centre-forward. That's true. All right, then. Uh, Very good. Liverpool on Tuesday night are at Atlanta. Uh, We'll hear more about that with James Horncastle later on. Uh, Also in action midweek, Man United, as we mentioned, Chelsea, who hosts Rennes, and Man City, who will be taking on Olympiacos. Both Chelsea and Man City... Got wins away this weekend to uh, sides that were struggling with historically bad runs. Burnley, in Chelsea's case, Sheffield United for Man City. We'll talk about those two fixtures next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. All right then, Chelsea 3-0 at Burnley, City 1-0 at Bramall Lane. What caught your eye? Well, Hakim Ziyech, he's, I mean, it's not not a new point, but he, he always seems slightly odd that he stayed at Ajax in that summer where they sold a lot of their other brilliant players. And, you know, maybe I'm just kind of, uh, I was overrating him on the kind of eye test, and teams are much more kind of sensible about things these days, and they have numbers to back up their decisions. But of all the players that um, Chelsea signed in the summer, I, I think I was most excited about seeing him. And this was kind of um, obviously he he scored in midweek in the Champions League, but this was the game where um, I thought he was kind of his you know best performance for Chelsea so far, and admittedly a, a, a small bunch. But um, right. yeah, I mean it, all of Chelsea's main attacking players. Um, kind of fitted into the team, they're not going to be able to play a sort of four-three-three with Havertz and Mount in midfield against you know good teams. But against Burnley, it was you know the perfect system to play, and it kind of it, it felt it sort of felt like something clicked for them um, mm. in this game against again admittedly quite poor opposition. Right, Burnley side off to its worst ever start uh, to a season, one point from six games, uh, the only side in England yet to score a league goal at home, even Man United have managed that Chelsea by contrast with four clean sheets in a row now and excitingly Michael this was the first time in Premier League history that two players whose surname begins with the letter Z scored for the same team so quite the match this there as you say it feels like things have clicked into place for Frank Lampard's Blues although there will be tougher tests for them Tom says how long before we can talk about Burnley being in trouble this came up on Match of the Day on Saturday and there was a they'll be all right. Uh, Daniel, is that, does that I don't cover think it? They, I don't think they will be all right because uh-huh. they're, they're broken on and off the field. You know, this summer, I know that, that COVID-19 made things hard for, for clubs, in inverted commas, like Burnley because there is a, a, a kind of safety first, risk averse approach. But when all you do is replace your third choice goalkeeper and replace Jeff Hendrick with Dale Stevens, um, and that's it. And Dice was already wanting investment more than he felt he'd had. There's this talk of this takeover, but at least one of the bids, you know, I won't go into too much detail legally, but one of the two bids looks um, less than ideal in terms of mm. who's fronting it. Um, and on the pitch, they always had this ability to bruise the noses of the big six, and they've taken two points in the last 30 against the big six. So it's difficult to know what they really do right at the moment. Mm. If you're interested in a little bit more background to the situation at Burnley, I can uh, only recommend that you check out the interview with Ian Wone on The Athletic, coincidentally, uh, where he talks about his relationship with Burnley manager Sean Dyche 
the pair, I didn't realise this, share a flat which is separate from their family homes and also made a trip together recently to the Grand Canyon, the famous landmark in the United States. Wern said they spent two minutes there before Dyche said, let's go, I've seen it, what else have I got to see? I'm just looking at this big hole. <laughs> that sounded for the first half of that it sounded quite spaghetti western and then yeah. <laughs> well it, he was in you know he was in Colorado so yeah true true yeah. and possibly Arizona it's a big canyon uh, anyway <laughs> it's a massive canyon mm. what about Sheffield United who have now gone 10 Premier League games without a win are they similarly on your trouble radar Daniel I mean yeah to an extent although you know losing Losing one 0 to Manchester City is is probably not the week to make those conclusions. But um, why why have they why have they gone ten Premier League matches without a win? Why have they failed to score mm, in nine of their seventeen Premier League matches since football restarted in June? This was a team that everyone was applauding and admiring for most of the lot. Well, yeah, until the suspension last season. There seems to be a bit of a lack of intensity in in midfield, um, and they're also not really. They were really good at, at stopping dangerous crosses coming into the box and defending set pieces, and they seem to have slightly slipped on both of those measures. I think the reality is is that Sheffield United were overachieving so much that any dip was probably likely to uh, kind of have a, a pretty huge effect. You know, you've got a budget mm. of Sheffield United's and a playing squad of theirs. You can't afford a drop in intensity. So I think it's. I'm not overly. You know, I'm not consigning them to the drop just yet. We'll let Matt David Adams make those predictions. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. 2nd of November, listener, on this day in history, well, it's a big one today, on this day in history in 2011, Manchester City manager Roberto Mancini uh, rose to celebrate a goal at the Estadio de la Ceramica, Villarreal's home ground, and banged his head against the dugout. He spent the rest of the match with an ice pack on his head. Otherwise, it's been a quiet day in history, but I thought I'd mention that one anyway. It was 3-0 win for Man City. Balotelli with his seventh in seven games. Simpler times. Back anyway, big side to 2020. And earlier on Sunday, Villa and Everton were in action. Now, these two were, I believe, the top two in the Premier League not long ago. They both had shock defeats, certainly last week, and were both looking for a reaction here, and both instead went behind quite heavily uh, before making late comebacks a bit too late for it to make any difference. Is this the start 
of their steady creep back down the table or am I overreacting to a couple of bad results? Yeah, I think it probably is. And actually, I think the whole Premier League weekend uh, generally felt a bit more normal. I mean, this Saturday in particular, City won, Chelsea won, Liverpool won. So yeah, it's starting to sort itself out a bit. Um, I mean, the the Villa-Southampton game was bizarre. Um, 4-3, I think we should all agree, is the best result you can get in football. But this is the worst type of 4-3. And it says why, once I went from... why is 4-3 the best? I think any more goals than that, and it starts to become a bit silly. Oh, to it be honest, cheapened. But, yeah, but four <laughs> three is right. Okay, the best result in Premier League history was four three, for example, that, like right. unarguably. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in terms of the goals, they were four absolutely unstoppable goals from Southampton. I mean, the mm. two Warbrows free kicks, the Ings goal was absolutely fantastic, and even the header from Vestergaard right. was top corner. So I, I think when you actually look at the there weren't many clear-cut chances in this game, weirdly, for a game with seven goals. And when we've been talking about why there have been so many goals this season, it's often been games like this that have been responsible, where there's just been some absolutely incredible hits rather than defences being absolutely shambolic, as you would probably infer by merely looking at the result. Mm, I've got some questions about this. One, what is the worst score in football, then? I mean, you want tension in football matches, I think. OK, you know, so any I, I like big scoreline you're not happy with? Well, as a very general rule, yeah, I'd go along with that. I don't want to watch a 4-0. I want to watch a game that's quite tight and there's something to play for. OK. Uh, Grealish's goal was also pretty special. Uh, James Ward-Prowse, wow. Uh, is this the start of something really special? Has he been unlocked by Hazen Huttle? He's never had performances quite like this before. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think Hazen Huttle has unlocked him. This is the one thing he always did have. I mean, he always was a great set-piece deliverer. Um, I must say I didn't really get him 18 months ago. I didn't know what kind of player he was. I thought if he was going to become a Premier League player, he would probably be on the right in midfield or maybe even right back. But he's been turned into a really good, tenacious, almost box-to-box midfielder. I think his relationship with Romeo is really good because Romeo sits there and he's quite solid. Ward-Prowse can go forward a little bit, but also they, they kind of stay close together and it's all about the movement of the wide players inside. And yeah, it's been a, a few players like that that I think Hasenhutl's done really well with. You know, I'd point to Armstrong as well as being a similar kind of, he was a likeable player. He wasn't necessarily a really good player, but he's improved a lot as well. So mm. yeah, I think Hasenhutl's done a really good job and it's taken a while for the results to really match the performances, but uh, they're now up into fourth position. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think, 13 points from the last five games, so they're in great form. Yeah, and James Ward-Prowse, as Daniel Story pointed out on Twitter, has scored 13% of all the direct free kicks in the Premier League since the start of last season. That's a yeah, lot. He's, he's, he's the best, I think he's the best free kick taker in the, in the Premier League and arguably the best corner kick taker as well. I mm. mean, he's helped, for the, he's helped with the corners, I suppose, by Southampton having, having Vestergaard. He's a brilliant header of the ball and Begnarek is good in the air as well. But yeah, he just seems, he also seems a player that you, you kind of, you root for because he, he, you know, he, he, he looks like a Southampton player. He's not particularly hugely built, but he runs his socks off. And um, I, I, I was was thinking for when I was writing winners and losers, I was thinking, you know, he, he must be in the in the England next England squad, and he was actually in the last one. But um, he he has to play instead of Harry Winks now. I think in terms of. Um, because he, as Michael says, he offers that box to box, which it feels other than that, like England either have attacking midfielders or sitting midfielders. They don't really have anyone else that does what he does. And, mm. um, yeah, he, he is in fantastic form. Uh, Southampton may not have uh, Danny Ings uh, for a while, though. He went off with a bit of a, uh, a twisted knee, it looked like, and they're going to have a scan on that on Monday. But Ralph Hasenhuttle saying post game that it doesn't look good. 
and uh, prognosis for Villa as well, not great. They won their first four matches, but have since conceded seven goals in two defeats at home. And I think you know you could have one of these games, but you'd kind of want to see a bit of a reaction the next time, not going 4-0 down or 3-0 down in the first half of your, your very next appearance. Uh, having said that, Saints are a team who can do that, as they demonstrated the previous week when they beat Everton handily. Everton, who were themselves looking for a bit of a comeback, and went to Newcastle, which was generally seen as a propitious fixture for this kind of thing, but instead got beat. Shall we salute Steve Bruce? Phil asks, is Steve Bruce simply a lucky manager, or is he actually good? Uh, I, I, I think he's a functional manager. Um, I think he's a manager who will always play one way, whichever squad he has. I mean, I'm not saying Newcastle have wasted their money on lots of new players and Callum Wilson's obviously a brilliant buy, but um, I I think he could have all the players in the world and I think he would probably prefer to play the way he does. But it's certainly effective against an Everton team who were, you know, they, Everton have created 68 chances this season and 42 of those weren't in the team today. You know, they didn't have a Charleston, they didn't have Dean, they didn't have Hammers. Um, and they looked woeful, frankly. Newcastle were far too good for them, and they weren't particularly good themselves. I see. All right, then. So a question of injuries, really, for Everton, which is, I think, something we'd always wondered about them and the depth of their squad, and we might be seeing that answered. Interesting, though, to see Jordan Pickford drop to the bench in favour of Robin Olsen with the proviso that Pickford would be back in for next weekend's fixture. A lot of people questioning this. What's Ancelotti's thinking there? There is just a, an assumption that you don't rest goalkeepers, for, and I don't know whether that's kind of rooted in any sort of logic at all. But I don't know. It, it, maybe he was just trying to be nice, and you know, okay, a bit like treating a game at Newcastle like a, a League Cup match, for example, would give the yeah, almost, but on almost. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe it was a kind of motivational thing for Olsen to mm. say, well, I'm planning not to play you in the next game, but if, you, you know, if you're good enough, then, then maybe I will. Who knows? But, you know, it probably wasn't as complicated as that. Mm. We should also say that Pickford, is, his biggest flaw is that he gets himself, almost like Joe Hart used to, a bit too pumped up and excited. And he has played badly against Newcastle before. He, he, he is a former Sunderland player. Um, and maybe there's a suspicion he might have got a bit, you know, overhyped again and done But in an empty rash. stadium. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is true. Maybe the stewards would rile him up. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. No, he, he, needed to, he needed to get himself hyped up all the more, but maybe that would, would have been his logic. Mm. So he, you know. Hammers uh, Rodriguez, who is possibly destined to be out for a while, sadly, for Everton and indeed himself, because he's got a bruised testicle, poor chap, suffered in the increasingly bruising, uh, it turns out, Merseyside Derby a fortnight ago. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, One other match, of course, played in this round so far, and that was on Friday when Wolves beat Crystal Palace 2-0. Wolves, who hadn't scored a single first-half goal since the opening game of the season, here went 2-0 up inside half an hour. Very exciting stuff. Uh, They moved up to third briefly, but have now dropped back down to fifth. But it is so very, very tight. We, we kind of asked this question a little bit on Thursday, but of the teams that are in, say, the top, well, 11, everyone who's within a win of the top four, which ones of those do you think are most likely to be a surprise top four side at the end of the season? I mean, I, I, I'd pick Wolves, I think. Would you? They seem mm. to have um, a little bit more substance to them than most of the other teams around there. Um, Everton, as we've seen, you know, have depth problems and you just have to sort of scratch the surface to reveal the mess of the squad that was there before Ancelotti came in. So 
Uh, yeah, well, I I pick Wolves out of that out of that lot. I think. Mm. Daniel. Yeah, I'd probably say the same. I would. I might have said Southampton before Ings's injury. If that's serious, then that clearly um, blunts them in the final third. Um, the I think yeah, the Wolves. I mean, the interesting thing I think is how they've kind of overhauled the squad or the first team this summer on the quiet it's gone under the radar but Max Kilman and Nelson Semedo and Daniel Pudence and Pedro Neto and then Donka starting every game in midfield they gave the Ike Nori a debut on Friday as well so it's almost half a new team in terms of starting from the from the start of last season um, which without European football that's that's clearly going to help they, they seem to I mean they also have them and Southampton also have the best managers outside the big six I think which helps mm. Okay, Michael? Yeah, I'd go along with what those two said, I'm afraid. All right. No shouts for Spurs. Do they count? In the sense, would that be a surprise? It would be a surprise if they made a title challenge, I think. I don't think it would be a huge surprise if they finished top four this season. All right. Okay, then. Well, Monday, there's two games to look forward to. The 5.30 box office offering is Fulham against West Brom. Both promoted sides, both searching for their first win. And if you're not sated with football after that, you can then tune in to Leeds Leicester from 8 o'clock. Leicester are on a bit of a roll. They beat Arsenal last weekend. They beat AK Athens to make it 2 out of 2 in the Europa League on Thursday. And if they beat Leeds, they'll go second in the table. That might be a good shout for your surprise top four finishers, eh, uh, Daniel? This, this game, we should remember, I think I'm right in saying, is is famous for Lillian analysis. Yeah. Absolutely. What Probably a top 10 all-time Premier League goal, I think. Behind Dickoff, cleared by Morris. Nallis! What a goal! That is outstanding! And I think that was on Monday Night Football, wasn't it? Oh, it was certainly on telly. Mm. I don't know why I remember it was on a Monday night, but they are the kind of things I remember. <laughs> this, this is about 15 years ago, probably. A player who I don't remember doing absolutely anything else in the Premier League and therefore... <laughs> You know, the quality of the goal gets an extra two marks for me. That was actually from 2003. And no doubt there'll be similar excitements in store Monday evening. Of course, that's followed on Tuesday and Wednesday by the drama of the Champions League. And we'll be hearing from James Horncastle on Atlanta's prospects against Liverpool and more in a second or two. First of all, though, it's our friend Lee Price. What's he up to this time? Hello, listener. I know you're probably tired of shoddily presented, confusing numbers that often seem to be contradicted by their accompanying message, but hey, that's my job. Next slide, please. It was a weekend that offered more questions than answers, such as, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer already back to not being a tactical genius? Where's Sherdan Shakiri been for the past 12 months? And does Everton's defeat mean they're wrong to drop Jordan Pickford? Okay, so only one man's asking that. Thankfully, Producer Charlie asked me a question I can provide a numerical answer to. Namely, is the relegation race already run? What with Burnley and Sheffield United losing again? Well, Charles, don't be so hasty. Because although Burnley are odds on to go down and in our bottom three, we think Sheffield United will stay up. Just. They're evens to go down, which puts them 17th on our betting table. Lucky them. Fulham and West Brom, who meet on Monday night, are both odds-on to go down, with Fulham at an astonishing 1-4 to four already. Oh, that's my number capacity hit. There'll be another muddled update later this week. And yes, I might do some more odds too. Boom, boom. All the best. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, it's a busy week. 
in many ways, uh, particularly for people who talk about football. You've got the Totally Football League show doing their thing. That's out on Monday, in which they'll be discussing Bournemouth being the only unbeaten side in the country and Wickham getting their first ever championship win. Crikey, it's going to be a vintage edition of the Totally Football League show. Totally Scottish Football Show will be out on Tuesday, reacting to last season's Scottish Cup semi-finals. Hmm. Also on Tuesday, the Offside Rule WSL edition. They'll be talking about the Women's FA Cup final, also from last season, Everton against Man City. And the Totally Fresh, Totally Football Show European edition will be out early Tuesday morning, looking ahead to match day three of the Champions League group stage. Big week for the Italian sides, none of whom actually won on match day two. Uh, James Horncastle joins us now to discuss the prospects of two of them. Inter, who will be taking on Real Madrid and Atalanta, we're up against Klopp's Reds. James, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, you you come fresh from Sunday evening's action with Sassuolo, very much the thinking person's thinking person's football team, uh, getting uh, passing their first big test of the season, though. Yeah, very impressive. Um, they went to the Stadio San Paolo in Naples to play a Napoli side that I think has got a lot of people excited. Uh, scored a lot of goals um, so far this season. And uh, Sassuolo, I wouldn't say went there at their best because they were without three of their best players. For example, Francesco Caputo, their top scorer, Domenico Berardi, uh, Filip Juricic as well. And yet they've come away with a uh, a massive win, um, which uh, really kind of continues this great start to the season that they've been on. Um, I think as of last week, the only team that had scored more goals in Europe's top five leagues than Sassuolo was Bayern Munich. Crazy. Um, and uh, it looks like this side is capable of breaking into into the top seven, um, no. which you know is, is, is easier. Well, yeah, which is easier said than done, given the, the the gap in in revenue between the top seven sides and everybody else. Well, they're up in second place at the moment, which is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, it be interesting to see if they can emulate the exploits of the other provincial Italian side that likes to tear it up with the big boys with a 4-3-3. And I refer, of course, to Atalanta, who did get a win, a much-needed one this, this week, against Crotone. They're taking on Liverpool on Tuesday. What do you think about Liverpool's prospects there in Bergamo? <laughs> Well, I think this will be another great game after the one that we saw last week against Ajax, which was was one of the best, um, certainly, of, of this season so far. I know it's only just started, but um, it was really brilliant to just see two sides go at it. I don't think it'll be any different uh, when Liverpool go there. I, th- I suppose, in some respects, um, you know, people will be looking at um, yeah, the fact that Liverpool won't be um, at full strength. Will they ever be at full strength between now and January, given that they've lost... Virgil van Dijk but you know I think Atalanta at the weekend as well it was quite an attritional win um, against Crotone they had a number of players uh, go off injured Hans Hattibor uh, Christian Romero so uh, that was a blow also Rafael Toloi so a couple of their centre-backs um, getting hurt and I, I think you can kind of really tell that we're now at the stage where um, what we're a week away from another international break where players are going to go away and play three meaningless games, essentially. Um, we've got um, the third round of Champions League games, which have all played back-to-back. And I think in some respects, um, yeah, that's led players to be fatigued um, and in some respects injured. Uh, but that does lead, that does allow us to have these kind of 
uh, crazy games that we're seeing um, mm. at the moment. And I, I think this would have been a crazy game anyway. All right. Okay. Well, that's on Tuesday. And also that night, and this is really exciting, Inter are going to be taking on Real Madrid. Inter, who are going to be facing Atalanta in the Nerazzurri derby next weekend. Uh, in this huge now game in the Champions League, they're in this group, uh, Real Madrid, Gladbach, Shakhtar and Inter. Shakhtar were kind of seen as the designated group victims, but instead they've gone off to a flyer, leaving the other three separated by just one point, working out which two of those three, Real Madrid, Gladbach and, and Inter, are going to miss out on the last 16. Uh, what do you make of Inter's prospects of giving uh, Real Madrid, who've lost one and drawn one in their opening two matches in the Champions League, uh, another dismal performance? (laughs) Well, Madrid have looked vulnerable um, and I think that's uh, encouraging for Inter. I think the only issue uh, for Antonio Conte is that his team have dominated um, uh, well, uh, nearly all the games that they played, aside from the derby. Um, this season, and they haven't come away with wins in all of them. Um, you know, they're going to go and play this game without Romelu Lukaku. Um, they uh, used Ivan Perisic in his place at the weekend against Parma. He wasn't good in that position, even though he got them what stoppage time equaliser um, in that two-two draw. Um, and you know, as we saw uh, against Shakhtar in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, they had what 70 percent possession, twenty odd shots, uh, and uh, yeah, if you don't take them, I mean, Lautaro missed an absolute sitter in that game. Uh, Lukaku hit the bar from a free kick, and it was actually uh, hitting that ball for that shot that he injured himself, um, and uh, they hit the bar again in that game. So, I think Inter are playing well. I think the the, the the issue is is in contrast with last year, they can't keep clean sheets. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is Conte persists with playing Alexander Kolarov um, as, as a centre-back. And, you know, while he's great going forward, um, you know, he, he, he keeps leaving space in behind for players like at the weekend, Jovino, to, to exploit. So, you know, I'm sure Karim Benzema, if they've shown him any video of, of what he's going to be going up against uh, on Tuesday night, he'll be like, oh, OK, well, I know where to go in order to get chances against Inter. And not just Benzema either, because while Lukaku is out, Eden Hazard is back and a fabulous goal from him in a, in a 4-1 win for Real Madrid this weekend. Only second actually ever for the club, more than a year after his first. Yeah. Well, good. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Eden, mm. um, given that uh, you know uh, what he has shown so far at Real Madrid has not really been up to uh, up to the expectations that were set from what that final season at Chelsea under under that genius Maurizio Sarri, who, who who got him to have his best best ever Premier League campaign. Um, and uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, I mean, it's a crunch double header um, between. Inter and Real Madrid. And as you mentioned, James, there is that Nerazzurri derby um, on the weekend as well. So, you know, if Conte on the back of what, a draw with Shakhtar, a draw with Parma, and then maybe a result not going his way against Madrid, then it's going to be very interesting to see what the kind of mood and atmosphere is like around him and around Inter going into the next international break. Mm, Indeed so. One other thing just to say about the uh, Real Madrid game is that uh, reports on Sunday are that one Real Madrid player has tested positive for COVID-19. So who that is and how many other players might subsequently be affected uh, between now and kickoff is is something that's very much open to question. But anyway, that's coming up on Tuesday. Of course, Tuesday morning, we'll get a full roundup of all of the uh, Champions League 
uh, Midweek Delights with James and Julianne Alvaro and Rafa. Thank you so much for being with us, though, today, James. Pleasure, as always. James Horncastle. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting, the Real Madrid-Inter thing, uh, depending particularly on if any more of the Real Madrid uh, personnel test positive for COVID-19. Atalanta's clash, though, with Liverpool, is that one that's kind of ringed red in your diary, Michael? Yeah, probably. I watched their game against Ajax and I thought it was probably the most enjoyable game I've watched all year. Really? Um, Yeah, it was just... I mean... I don't need to tell you about Atalanta, James, but when they're up against a side like Ajax, who who almost mm. want to play, not the same way, because a different style of football, but the same kind of philosophy of just being almost all out attack and taking the game to the opposition. They're both doing really interesting things tactically. And yeah, Atalanta against Liverpool should be really good. I mean, it's one of those games where I'd fancy Atalanta to play really well and then kind of concede a couple of goals on the break because they play quite man for man at the back. And I don't think their defenders are the quickest and I think against Salah and Mane, they could get exposed. But, you know, I wouldn't bet against uh, lots of goals. So let's hope it's a 4-3, which is the best result in football. Yeah, not one of those big lopsided affairs. What, what are you looking forward to midweek, Daniel and Nick? doesn't have to be football either. <laughs> you, you go first, please, Nick. I mean, well, into even without any nod to anything that's happening at the moment it just feels like the, you know the the big dogs are, are here now then they they're, they're going to play and you know woof and here, here comes Eden Hazard as well did you see his goal i did expertly using his um significant posterior to spin off a defender and then whack it into the top corner <laughs> classic um excellent daniel you'll be tuned into but perhaps you'll just enjoy the goal show and then get the best of all the games I will certainly do that. I think Brilliant. I would pick RB Leipzig PSG, though, Ooh. given Manchester United start in that group. Remember, that's two of last season's semi-finals, potentially playing off to decide who goes into the Europa League and wow, yeah. who stays in the Champions League. So that's that feels as big as it gets in match day three of a Champions League group stage, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And a similar kind of playoff angle too, as we mentioned, the, the Real Inter game, given how well Shakhtar are doing in that group. Well, that's terrific. Much more Champions League talk in Tuesday's Totally Football Show. That's it for today's edition. So many, many thanks to Daniel and to Nick and to Michael and, of course, to producer Charlie and to you, listener, for sticking with us all the way through to the end. We'll be back at various points of the week. So I hope you'll be joining us at some of those. In the meantime, have yourself a super time and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.